0: Los Angeles, you're now tuned into Slauson Girl Speaks
1: with award-winning journalists and South Central natives. Slauson Girl.
0: This is a safe space. Yeah. Celebrating authentic Black expression, where Slauson Girl dives deep into Los Angeles history, politics, and news, while discussing culture, race, and identity with carefully curated guests to keep you open-minded in today's society. No cap. Follow Sloss and Girl on all social media platforms. And stream Sloss and Girl Speaks on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You don't want to miss this. Agent Sonny Jones. If you need a home called Sonny Jones. She can help you buy or sell your home, a luxury or income property. Agent Sonny is the one that you want to see.
1: Hi, I'm
2: Sunny Jones, your community real estate partner. Real estate ownership is key to building generational wealth and it matters who you work with. Whether you're buying or selling, I am here to help you win. Let's chat. You can find me at agentsonnyjones.com, Facebook and Instagram, or by text 323-793-7651. If you need a home, call Sunny Jones.
1: Three two
0: three seven nine three seven six five one. So, when you need a home, call Sunny Jones. When you need a home, call
1: Sunny. I wanted to have this conversation with Freeway Rick today um, because I have been seeing a lot of promotions for Snowfall. You know, it's a really popular show. And um, it kind of got me thinking in terms of, you know, with the popularity of the show. There's other kind of issues that we don't really discuss in terms of like the uh, impact that the um, crack cocaine epidemic has had on South Central. In addition, you know, those who have been affected such as some of the youth, um, basically the offspring of those who were brought up in the crack epidemic, how we kind of carry that um, stigma of like, you know, being crack babies and things like that. And so it just kind of got me thinking like, you know, we carry the burden, but we we're celebrating shows like Snowfall. So for you, you know, with Snowfall basically being you know your your life story, basically. Um, do you feel like images like drug kingpins do the do these images hurt or like help black communities?
2: It's according to the way the story's told, right? Um, I believe the way Hollywood portrays uh, black drug dealers it hurts. Okay. Um, it's sad that they can't give the kids the truth. Hmm. Uh, And I believe that the the best way to counteract any situation is with facts. You know, when you're going on make-believes, falsehoods, and maybe some facts inside of it, uh, it, it throws people off, you know, it, hmm. it, it keeps them off balance. Right. Uh, and, and I think that that's one of the biggest problems that we've been having with our youth now is that we've been lying to them. Hmm.
1: OK. Um, and so when you talk about, you know, the youth being lied to and kind of like Hollywood misconceptions, like what are some of the biggest um, kind of like issues that you would have with some of the uh Themes that are coming out of Snowfall.
2: Well, I, I I haven't. I just started watching Snowfall since I started this new show called After the Snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was approached by David Myers to uh, Mays. I mean, yeah, I changed people's names from the, the source. Yeah, from the Source magazine. He approached me about us doing a a podcast to to lay out the facts because sometimes right. people can't get. Fiction and 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 facts—they can't separate the two. They can't tell which is which. Mm. So in in the case with Snowfall, uh, I boycotted it because <laughs> uh, I wasn't part of the show. Uh, John Singleton, I thought was a friend, you know, uh, was going to be a partner, and for him to go off and make Snowfall without me uh, was disappointing. But I understand why now. Uh, from watching the show, uh, there would have been things on the show that I would have definitely disagreed with. I wouldn't have, uh, uh, if I would have had any say so, on the show, wouldn't have went on camera. Um, I don't know, you know. It just reminds me of another Superfly, you know, another black exploitation movie that uh, was the first time that I ever found out about cocaine was from Superfly. And after watching that movie. Um, Arthur Ashe was no longer my hero. Hmm. My hero had changed to this petition, petitional character that they had on the big screen. You know, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, uh, one of the reasons I fell in love with him is because of the way he stood up to the cops. Mm
0: -hmm. You know,
2: um, I was here when the Watch Riot took place. Um, The cops broke my brother's nose. Um,
1: How old were you guys?
2: My brother was about. 15, you know, I probably was about six, seven.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was young, you know, I, if, if I would have been older, I probably would have been with him.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, he was marching with the US, um, which was another organization similar to the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably would have been with him, mm-hmm. you know, if I was old enough. So uh, it, it kind of put a, a bad taste in my mouth about the cops. And when I go watch this movie, Superfly, he stared the cops down. Right. You know, he he, he tells them in one, one scene in the movie, he says, Cracker doing my dirty laundry I ain't gonna save your life. Cause I put a hit out on you with white hit men. And not only are they gonna kill you, they're gonna kill your wife, they gonna kill your daughter. If you touch one hair on my head, hmm. you're done. So to, when I saw that movie, it was like, wow, this man stood up to the cops. Least mm-hmm. up to white cops when, you know, when I came up, you know, in, in, in Texas, uh my mom, my uncles would have to tell white people, yes, sir and yes, ma'am. Right. Even if they was younger than them, you know, they they gave up a type of respect that uh um they didn't get back. Mm. You know, and as a young black male, uh I started to build up this this rebelness in, inside of me, you know, that, that I didn't want to be like my mom. Mm. I
0: didn't
2: want to be like my uncles. You know, I didn't want to be working for white people. You know, I didn't want people telling me what I could do and what I couldn't do. Right. So when you build up that, that type of mentality, you know, and then you got guys like Muhammad Ali, you know, who are staring them down. And, you know, you, you're saying this kind of stuff. You're like, that's what I want. That's mm-hmm. where I'm going to be. You know, I ain't going to the army. Right. You know, I, I ain't fighting their wars. I ain't going along with their systems. And mm-hmm. and uh, that mentality just started to evolve into, you know, what, what I became.
1: Mm. Okay, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about you growing up in South Central. Um, when you think back, you know, to your childhood um, with your family and your siblings, you know, what what comes to mind? Can you kind of like paint the picture in terms of like maybe like your household and just like what was the vibe of your home growing up as a youth? Well, you know,
2: when you're a kid, you, you think that life is the way it's supposed to be. Right. You know, um, my mom moved out here when I was about four or five years old, just when I turned five. Uh, when we moved out, we slept on my auntie's couch. Hmm. Um we 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 stopped sleeping on my auntie couch and we moved in with one of my uncles, uh, who who had an extra room in the house
0: mm-hmm. and we were
2: living in the house until uh, my uncle coming in drunk, you know, stabbing his wife up. My mom jumped in. Uh she eventually killed my uncle. And I'm standing on the side of it when it happens. Oh wow. And as a young male you're starting to think that this is the way everybody lives right you know everybody gets drunk everybody fights right you know uh so as i as i started to grow and 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 become older um i started to see the same mentalities you know uh uh, and and you just feel like that this is the way life is you know Mm -hmm. um Never learned how to read and write. Right. You know, when I was going to school, uh really had no interest in school. Right. You know, I saw no benefit in what Jack and Jill was going up the hill to do. Right. You know, uh and, and the spotted dog either. You know, I, I had no concern with any of them. You know, my concern uh most of my childhood was what was we gonna have to eat?
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: was we gonna be able to get the windows fixed in the house? Um uh, how long would we be living in a house with roaches and rats? Hmm. Um, those were my concerns as, as, as a young male coming up. Uh, when I got to be about 12, you know, I started to learn about gangs. Uh, I can remember the first time that uh, the Crips came up to my elementary school and they had the whole school surrounded and everybody in school was looking like, what the hell is going on here? Right. All these young black males hanging out at, at the school, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can remember when the first one of my friends got jumped by a different gang, you know? Uh, he was cripping and, and, and some bloods caught him out of bounds and they beat him up. You know, I, I remember how upset I was because um, he was my homeboy. Even though I didn't understand gang culture, mm-hmm. you know, I understood that they bust my dude's eye, you know, and his eyes was black and and uh, um, you know and so forth you know uh store plant tenants at 12 13 Mm -hmm. you know lucky for me otherwise i probably would have um been in prison for a very different reason you Mm -hmm. know uh one of the things that i can say is i went to prison for for having money Mm -hmm. and getting money and some of my other friends went to jail for. Things like robbery with murder. You know, I have a friend that just got out of prison from doing forty years in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fortunate that I wasn't in that same boat. We was the same age. Matter of fact, I'm a couple years older than him. I had another friend who, who did thirty five years, who was my best friend in elementary school. You know, we would go we would go to the supermarket and steal the little Jolly Rancher candies, you know, before school and, and come to school and, and feed everybody Jolly Ranchers. Mm-hmm. So um growing up in South Central was, was, was something, you know? Um, And then, you know, you, 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 you're a single parent, you know, I only had my mother. I really didn't know my father until uh, I was getting out of prison. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was a different time. Mm
1: -hmm. So what was that like, you know, meeting your dad and stuff like that, especially when you're an older man?
2: I was surprised at, at how much we had in common. You know, the things that, uh, even though I had never met him, uh, we kind of felt the same way. He was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You know, he was uh, raising cows and pigs and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, doing his little entrepreneur thing from the country, though. He, mm-hmm. he, was, he, he never moved out of Tyler, Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, it was different, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had been mad at him all his life, all my life. I had been mad at my dad. Uh, because basically what I did is I took on my mom's thoughts of him and her feelings of him. Mm-hmm. And I learned that, you know, sometimes you can't judge somebody from what you get from somebody else because you never know what that situation was that caused that riffle in their relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, definitely. So um, with what your dad has shared with you, do you feel like that was that was good enough for you in terms of like why you guys didn't really have a relationship growing up?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, he told me my mom was a hard person to deal with, and he didn't have to tell me that; I already knew. <laughs>
1: Don't put it all on a on a on an angry black well, woman. Well, when you
2: asked me his point of view, right, true, so true. And when you're going from his point of view, he right he put it all on her, and and I understand with most people they only see things from their point of view. You right. know, I, I'm one who who's able to uh, take myself outside of myself. And look at it from from other people's points of view, right? Uh, which is 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 a hard thing to do. Most people can't do it, uh, almost impossible to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I understand that was just his point of view. You asked me what was his point of view, right? Right. And his point of view is that my mom was hard to deal with, right? And I agree with him. Okay. My mom was hard to deal with, right? Right. Uh, but at the same time, my mom was a loving and caring person. Okay. who uh, you know, who who, who went. Uh, went out of their way to help other people.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, definitely. So, are there some places um, growing up in South Central that you used to frequent, like businesses or things like that, um, that aren't there anymore?
2: Oh, Nothing <laughs> in South Central is there when we grew up. It's, it's, the whole <laughs> place has changed. You know, South Central has been gentrified. Um, the park's still there, but it's nothing like the park that we grew up in. Uh, you know, it's amazing how uh, now that South Central has become mostly Hispanic, that now they, they remodeled in the schools. I mean, I even just look here at Compton High School, how they just tore it down and, and, and now it's remodeling. And I, I, I bet you it's almost mostly Hispanics that's going there right now. So it's amazing how uh, um, they feel that it's time to put money into it. But when, when it was, was a dominantly black community, uh, nobody put any money into uplifting or building the community.
1: Right, exactly. Kind of like taking it back to Snowfall in a sense in terms of like, um, you know, that is a very popular show. But in terms of like the what happened in the community, I don't feel like it's been I mean, well, now, you know, with the gentrification and everything. But before it wasn't really a push or like an urgency, I feel like, to to fix what had happened with the crack epi- epidemic and things like that? Um, well, not
2: just the crack epidemic, just period. You know, they true, true. They ha- they never put the resources into the community when it was dominantly black. You know, this right. this community was literally. Uh, you know, one of my one of my uh, tennis coaches told me one time that, you know, when, when I went to, when I was in prison, he was like. How can they say they're going to rehabilitate you when you've never been habilitated? You know, black people, we've never been rehabilitated from slavery. You know, we're only a couple generations from, from slavery. You know, uh, right. my grandfather was a sharecropper. So more than likely, his dad or his mom probably was slaves. So when you look at the whole scenario, um, black people have been under some pressure that has never been dealt with. And uh, that's why I I don't necessarily. I mean, we we have to take some responsibility, but then we also have to be considerate of what has happened to us as as black people.
1: Most definitely, Um, you know, because there's. Definitely accountability and then there's also like victim blaming too in a sense of like people that have already been victimized and they were only kinda looking at um the behaviors that they're that they're showing but not really looking at the root causes of like what
2: absolutely. And you have to go that. to the root if you really want to solve the problem or find out where it's coming from. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I totally agree. They they have never dealt with our root problems as as Blacks in this country.
1: Definitely. Even, you know, just on a micro level in terms of L.A., you know, I I always say I feel like L.A. is um, a perfect, like, um, microcosm to, like, analyze the ways in which um, the system marginalizes Black people and, like, um, you know, like, strips us economically, you know what I'm saying, and in terms of like the institutional racism and things like that, you know. Also wanted to ask you, growing up in South Central during, you know, like the 70s, and what year were you born? 60, 60 you know, growing up, um, more like I saw in the black 70s. And white so you, you know, so I saw you seen them, yes. Yeah. So, you know, can you speak to kind of like some of the um, issues that black people were dealing with already, like before the crack epidemic hit South Central?
2: Well, we were, we were poor. You know, we had to we had to. But but you know what? In a sense, we were kind of better off than we are right now. Hmm. Uh, because even though we were poor, we still had jobs. OK. You know, we were the trash men. You know, we we built the houses, we put roofs on houses, we kept the streets clean, Uh, we were working. Now we're no longer working.
1: That's what I'll be saying.
2: We're we're only the consumers right now. Um, Hmm. And and I think that it's important that that we go back to work, you know, because if you don't, you know, know, there's a saying that uh, I don't want nobody using me. And well, I switch that up to where I don't want nobody misusing me because if nobody uses me, then I can't get any money. Mm-hmm. So I have to be uh, usable, and I have to have some value to me. Right. So uh, we, as black people, have to create value within ourselves. But you know, so so often we 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 get comfortable with you know what's what it is today. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know we got Jay Z, we got Fifty Cent, we got the Big Meat story, we got Snowfall, we got Power. So, when when you have those, you know, the Oprah Winfreys, then you get a sense of, are we doing all right? You know, and me being out on the streets every day, uh, I don't feel that we've been doing all right. I think that we are hurting. Uh, uh, I think that we need help. I think that we need treatment. Um, and, and crack cocaine and heroin and other drugs that, people use to fill those empty voids or mm-hmm. just um, substitutes for the, the the real problem uh which is the lack of us being productive and being able to uh sustain ourselves and take care of families
1: yeah definitely most definitely um so working how do you when How do you envision black people getting back to work in L.A.?
2: Uh, They got to stop working for money. Because if if you only work for money, money, and then you don't you don't really know your value. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't really know your value or or nobody else knows your value, then you're going to be out of work. And, you know, so many people saying, oh, if I can't get this much an hour, then I just I just won't go to work. Right. And uh, what I do different than most people is uh, I find pleasure in just working, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that if I do a great job, then the money will come.
1: OK, definitely. And I
2: learned that from selling drugs. OK. Drugs taught me that. Drugs taught me a lot. You know, I mean, uh, to be... Uh, in the mix of selling drugs with just so many different people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I was telling somebody that they they was telling me about uh, doing a, a a deal, a movie deal or something. And I was like, man, do you know how many deals I've done in my life? You know, I used to do hundreds of deals on a daily basis with different people from all walks of life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people might say, Oh, well, it was dope deals, but a deal is a deal. You still, uh, uh the meeting of the minds between two people, who are trying to uh, accomplish a goal for themselves? So, so that's what a deal is. Okay. And um, they just taught me so many lessons, you know, from 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 doing all of these deals. That mm-hmm. um, when I do do deals nowadays, it's like, man, I started already. Right. I've been there. <laughs> right.
1: Right. No, I feel you. So. Speaking of selling drugs. Right. So, you know, South Central and, and Compton, these are like these places that have been like highly popularized in the media and things like that. Right. Especially concerning like our drug kingpins, you know, um, you're one of the most visible ones. But there's also other people, you know, like O, and then like um, like Waterhead Bo. Have you? Yeah, I know Bo. You know, um, so you
2: did a little research, huh?
1: You, I'm, I try to understand <laughs> what I'm telling you because I feel like my life and the reason, like why my life is how it is. I feel like I'm like the, like a product of the community. Like I,
2: well, you absolutely are. You lived here. There's no way that you could live your life and not be affected by the things that are around you. Right. Uh, we are accumulation of everything we saw, heard, and was taught. Right. So when you look at your life, you you, you got to understand that you are this environment, you know, right. until uh, you literally, um, wh- what I say now is I take myself and I mold my mind. You know, I, I'm able to block out the things that I don't want in and um, I focus on the things that I want to focus on. Right. And if you don't do that consciously then you become uh, somebody who's just falling to hurt. Right. And and it's very easy to fall into uh, a a path that everybody else is doing because it looks good sometimes. Right. You know, uh, and it's tough to trail you, you know, blaze your own trail. You know, like you got to go through and cut all the weeds and move the trees. Right. You know, Uh, but sometimes that's what has to be done. So uh, I totally agree. If, if you haven't learned the technique of of uh, blocking your mind, then you become a victim of everything that that's around you.
1: Hmm. No, I agree, definitely. Um, okay, so what do you think separates your story from you know other drug kingpins that we've seen in South Central? Or do you feel
2: like I separate myself from other drugs. Or do King you feel like you're from everybody? You mm-hmm. know, I'm 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 different. I'm special. <laughs> you know, uh, mm-hmm. I was born special. Uh, uh I wanna be special and and I feel like everybody should want to be special. Everybody should want to uh uh blaze their own trail.
1: You know, right. everybody
2: should want to be special, everybody should want a legacy and and I'm no different than, than nobody else, you know?
1: hmm Definitely.
2: And drugs was just a short part of my life. You know, I only mm-hmm. I only sold drugs for eight years. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, teeny window into my life, you know? Right. Uh, and and uh, I, I, that was a part of my life when I was ignorant, when I didn't really understand that um, drugs were detrimental to my community, that it was going to... Uh, affect my community in a way that it did, you know, when, when I, when I walk down the streets right now, when I see uh, so many homeless people, I understand that even if they didn't use drugs, that drug dealer mentality is what got them living in tents and cardboard houses and, and, and so forth, because, uh, the drug culture teaches you, first of all, not to want to work for the man which in my opinion is cool, you know, but uh, it also uh, makes some of us lazy. You know, Mm -hmm. where all we want to do is sell drugs. You know, we don't want to do anything else. And and I'm not that type of person. You know, I'm willing to uh, get a shovel and dig a hole, Mm -hmm. uh, climb a telephone pole. uh, Even if I'm scared of heights, you know, I'm still willing to... uh, uh, Tame those fears to uh, allow myself to move up the ladder. Mm-hmm.
1: okay, definitely. Do you ever feel any sense of guilt for the small no eight guilt. years No guilt
2: only lessons
1: We did discuss that. no guilt, mm-hmm. only lessons. Only we did lessons. discuss that I mean
2: if, if if you start looking back in the past, mm-hmm. then that's when you start to live. you know uh, you know I have a joke that I tell people I can't remember what happened yesterday. But I can see what's going to happen next week, which gives me an advantage. Uh, And I'm always looking for advantages. You know, I'm not looking for uh, faults that I had two weeks ago. Because if I find out I made a mistake, then what I do tomorrow is I make sure that I don't do that same thing again. Mm.
1: Okay, definitely. So you mentioned legacy. Um, What do you want your legacy to be?
2: I don't know. You know, I want to go down in history with, with the likes of Muhammad Ali and mm-hmm. Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, uh, Marcus Garvey, you mm-hmm. know. Um, it's funny how I didn't even know about these guys, you know, some of them until I went to prison. But mm-hmm. uh, once I went to prison and I read the books and and I was like, oh, we got black people to do this? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to be like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, And and that's how I build my strategies right now, you know, from some of those books that I read. You know, I I went to prison. I was totally illiterate. Had never read a book before I left prison. I read over 300 books. Uh, I read the newspaper every day. Um, So I educated myself. You know, uh, guys used to tell me in prison stuff like, if you could mix the books and the street together, you'd be unstoppable. (laughs) And now I understand what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also open-minded. I'm very I'm a very open-minded person. You know, I'm willing to hear other people's opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I develop a sense of listening. Mm-hmm. You know, most people can't listen right. because while they hear somebody else talking, they have already made up their mind what they're gonna say, you know, before the person finishes. Right. And I try to listen attentively to get an understanding of what you're trying to tell me. Mm -hmm. so that i don't miss what you're saying Mm -hmm. because you know everybody knows something and uh you can learn something from even a dummy
1: definitely okay well i would just like to say something to you know be um just transparent so you know like of course the drug dealers didn't you know like um you know smoky from friday you know didn't put put it to your lips and make you smoke it you feel me so it's like i understand that the drug dealers aren't directly responsible for my family's turmoil you know what i'm saying um but the whole like crack baby epidemic thing has been just like a constant theme in my life and it's like it's something that i can't really like um
2: what's the crack baby
1: that part. you t- Well, okay. So basically, this is how it was told to me. Um, my dad had to come get me out of the system or whatever because my birth mom, for whatever reason, couldn't stop smoking crack while she was pregnant or whatever and said I almost died, all, all kind of other stuff. This is what they tell me. I'm not capping, you know? And they um, took me from her, and I was put in foster care, and this lady— Nurse me back to health, or you know, and she wanted to adopt me. So then they contacted my dad. I don't know why they didn't contact him from the get go, but they was like, Oh, do you want to give up your parental rights? So my dad, you know, I guess he was like, you know, trying to be a responsible male person. You feel me? I respect my dad always for this. You feel me? But when I look back on it, I'd be like, Damn, you had no plans for my future at all. You feel me? Like, um, you know, I could have had a whole different life. But I, you know, I accept and I understand what God probably wanted to show me, right? Anyways, though, what I'm trying to get to is, like, like, I don't have any, like, my parents, they're so, like, incapable of providing any support at all, you know what I'm saying? And I never met my moms and things like that, and so I just be always thinking, like, you know, if, how things maybe could have been. I mean, I don't think about it, like you know, but I just I accept things for what they are. But when I see like the the um, drug culture, well, specifically the crack thing and the and the uh, rappers perpetuating this, it uh it is very triggering for me personally. And then again, like we having to um, carry the stigma of of that but then it's glorified in mainstream culture and so it's like I just I don't I don't really understand why people um are so fascinated by that but then we ignore like the real impacts that it has had on people's lives like you know what I'm saying and so I just have to say that and I'm not blaming you personally or any of the drug dealer people but um Again, back to like we got to stop lying to the kids. You feel me? Like this is. Um, well, we
2: we agree on that. I totally agree with you on that. But look like you came out perfect.
1: <laughs> Not perfect. I mean,
2: sitting here looking at you, I mean, <laughs> and talking to you, I mean, I, I seem like you seem like a totally normal, functioning young lady. I mean, maybe there's something under the. That I don't it's see the
1: par- it's the lack of uh parental support and being like disconnected from any uh, but I don't
2: think that was cracked up
1: it could been. because happen. I had the same
2: problems I didn't have nobody to teach me hmm. my dad wasn't there right my mom didn't know how to how to raise you she, she thought going to work being a janitor was the way to take care of your kids you know uh, so it, it wasn't necessary I mean the crack played a, a part but it's not just crack that 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 causes the problems that we're having in the black community mm-hmm. crack is only a a a a filler something that they see, your mom had problems
1: my dad she, too
2: she had things that she was probably couldn't deal with
1: their parents got killed like my dad's dad got killed when he was like 12. You know, he was over there in the Hoover somewhere. So next thing I know, I mean, I wasn't born, but I guess, you know, they over there doing PCP and all kind of shit over there in the Hoover's, you know? And so, and then my mom- So it's just
2: drugs. It's just in the fillers. But, but it's not necessarily the drugs though. It's what they're See, dealing it's with. It's a certain person that can get addicted to drugs. It's, it's certain people that can get addicted to cigarettes. Why do people have to be intoxicated? Because they can't deal with- what's going on in their lives. They need something to to take that everyday struggle away from them instead of saying, you know what, this is my struggle and I'm going to enjoy my struggle. When I was in prison, the way I dealt with prison is I said, you know what, this is where I'm supposed to be. So I have to take this and I have to enjoy it. And I have to make the best of it. Every single moment that I have, on this precious earth that I'm living on, no matter what situation I'm in, I got to enjoy it because this is mine. Right. And, and I think that when people in general start to look at their lives in that sense, um, they'll feel more fulfilled and they can accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish. Now, mm-hmm. Say for instance, if I was you and, 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 my mom, my dad didn't give me anything. So now I know what they didn't give me. So I start to get that to myself. Mm, that part. To fulfill my own bucket. I don't need nobody else to fill my bucket. I can fill my own bucket because now I'm a conscious thinking human being that is in total control of myself. And then once I control myself, I can start to control my environment. So often we feel as if we're helpless beings, that we have absolutely no power when we do have power, but we don't exercise our power because we're so busy looking at what didn't happen for us or didn't come our way Mm -hmm. instead of thinking of, oh, I got this right here. I'm going to take this here and I'm going to make this what I need to push me to the next level.
1: Okay, definitely. I accept that. For
2: sure. Um, and that's just my philosophy. You know, uh, um may not work for everybody. Right. You know, my man said, uh, there's two people, one who say I can't and one who say I can And you know what he said about the two? What? They're both right. Hmm. So I'm going to be the one who say I can. I can't overcome drugs. I can't overcome my like of Parental guidance. Of my lack of being able to read and write. You know, I'm doing things right now that uh, marvel me. You know, I, I would have never thought that I could do some of the things. Never thought that I would be sitting in front of a camera. I used to. You might would have put a camera on me back in the days. I'd be like, man, bust that camera up. <laughs> I don't want nobody taking no pictures of me. But now, uh, I stay. I stay in front of cameras and. I stay talking in front of audiences. I've been at universities that I I, I couldn't have got into. And they, and they paid me because that's what I wanted. So I think that once you accept, you know, that whatever your mom was or whatever your dad was has some bearings on you, but that doesn't dictate who you are or who you can become.
1: Okay. So, can we talk a little bit about your tennis situation? You yeah, know? we can talk about tennis. Um, where did you kind of pick, pick that up, that interest?
2: Manchester Elementary School was, uh, I mean, Manchester, Ele- Manchester Park was okay. the first place that I ever found out about tennis. Uh, we had turned the tennis courts into a, a roly-derby ring. So all the kids in the neighborhood, we would go and put our skates on and we would because you know tennis courts is really smooth. Right. And we'd just be skating around the courts. And one day this uh this black guy, he was black as tar, he walked up to the courts and he had all these balls and rackets and he was like, I bet you little bad kids can't hit the ball in that bat in that box. I'll give mm-hmm. you a quarter. Mm-hmm. A quarter? What? So we all kicked our skates off and we start hitting balls, trying to hit them in the box. The next thing you know, we was hitting balls at each other and uh we had a ball. Uh, it didn't stick for me right then. You know, I didn't stick. Uh, but a couple of my friends did. And uh, I came over to the house and they had brand new sweatsuits and tennis rackets and <laughs> tennis shoes. I was like, man, where you get all that stuff from? He's like, man, we get this free for playing tennis. I was like, what? I'm going to learn how to play tennis. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I started.
1: Okay. And... um
2: how old were you? Did about you say again? 12, 13, about twelve, thirteen? You know, okay. I was, I was still young, mm-hmm. a little a little too old to. Well, not too old, but a little old for trying to be a professional player.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But young enough to be, you know, a decent high school player and and, and a college player.
1: Mm-hmm. And so you wanted to go to college and things like that.
2: I did because I, I, you know, <clears throat> I was living this this dream because my friends, who I told you, who started playing tennis first, mm-hmm. they wanted going to major universities and mm. you know one on the team and two on the team. So mm-hmm. I wanted to follow in their footsteps.
1: Okay, um, but the whole like reading and writing thing was still an issue for you, or
2: absolutely, I couldn't fill out the application.
1: So you were basically failed by LAUSD. Were you going to school in Los Angeles Unified School District? Yeah, history? you
2: could say that. My, at USD, my mom, you know, my tennis coaches, they all, um, they all missed it, you know. And and you know, when I look back at my life, and I say, not only did they fail me, but they failed society because what could I have become had you know if I would have been able to read and 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 then it was the right books to read too, you know that they, they didn't they didn't put me. In front of write books, you know, when I got mm-hmm. to prison and I started to find out that there was books that would teach you how to get money, well, I fell in love <laughs> with reading. I, I became an advocate reader. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I read over three hundred books. Some weeks I would read five books in one week. Mm-hmm. You know, according to what what the situation was, you know, what I had going on. But right. uh, yeah, I became an advocate reader. You know, mm-hmm. that's why when people see all the stuff I'm doing now, they be like, they might think it's from selling drugs, but no, uh, reading. Really? I prepared myself when I came home from prison. Okay, definitely. This is not luck, not by accident. Matter of fact, if you get a chance, one of the greatest reads about me is an the article they did in L.A. Magazine, 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy was was uh, writing my obituary, and the article is called "Rick Ross is Dreaming."
1: What's the guy's name?
2: Jesse Katz. Okay. Used to write for L.A. Times. Okay. You know, follow. You used to follow me around. Mm-hmm. You know, with the police and, and okay and whatnot. Uh, but he, he wrote a, a terrific article, in my opinion. I'm going to go check and, it out. And it's called Rick Ross is Dreaming. Mm-hmm. He's talking about uh, writing my obituary. Mm-hmm. And and in this article, he talks about how, as if he's talking to a corpse. You know, I, I'm dead, but my, my body's still talking. You know, I'm still telling him about my plans. You know, you know stuff like, oh, I'll be telling politicians what to do. Uh, uh, I'll be uh, speaking at colleges. I'll have a book out. Uh, I'll be doing a documentary. I'll be doing a movie. I'll do mixtapes. Mm-hmm. So um, when he heard me talking like that, he thought I had lost my mind because, uh, as he said in the article, I was 555 uh prisoner with a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Usually when the feds give you a life sentence... Uh, only one percent of the people who get a life sentence from the feds get a, get a get a win their appeal. Mm. So, so my chances of getting out was really slim. Mm. Uh, but I never gave up hope, you know, and that's why I was able to continuously develop myself to uh, when I got out. You know, I would become the person who I who I am today, or who I'm developing to be today. Because I'm still not him yet, you know. Okay, I ain't where I want to be yet. Okay. Uh, so. I got a few more years to try to accomplish that goal.
1: Okay. Well, you seem to be um on the path that you manifested, so, you know. <laughs> we'll see the no rest doubt. to come. No doubt. So, did you ever um were you ever involved in a tennis club or creating a tennis club? Um
2: I had, I had a a group of kids that I used to teach and and I paid for their lessons and bought them tennis shoes and rackets and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I I did that. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, definitely. Um, did you ever cross paths with um,
2: The Williams sisters? Right. Yeah. yeah. I knew them when they were I met when I met the, the Williams sisters, Serena was no, not Serena, Venus was 12. Mm. Uh, and I had a couple nephews to play. It was like same age as they were. Um, and and they, they were doing really well on the California circuit as well. So Venus and them used to play with them. And, and when we would go to tournaments, we'd be the only blacks there. So, you know, mm-hmm. we'd have a, a little bond with each other when we would talk and
1: mm-hmm. and
2: um, and so forth. So mm-hmm. yeah, met them a few times at tournaments.
1: Okay. So you like met their dad and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, I met their dad. Mm-hmm.
1: What did you think of like their dad and what he was trying to do with
2: them? I, we didn't think that. Um, my opinion at the time was limited, you know? Uh, but the tennis coach who who taught my kids, who uh, taught their dad as well, uh, he didn't think much of their their dad's ability to teach, and he also didn't like the way the girls' uh, form was as far as tennis went. At that time, ta- at that time, the dad was their sole coach, and he didn't really know what he was doing, and and they hacked the ball. You know, they wasn't. Uh, they didn't have great form like they developed. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when people start seeing them on TV.
1: Okay. What do you, like, do you have any thoughts in terms of, like, what helped propel them from, like, what you were saying initially to, like, what they will become?
2: Well, that was determined. Determined. Yeah, he was determined. And mm-hmm. he went out and found the people uh, to assist him in the things that he didn't have.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Which was brilliant.
1: Being resourceful.
2: Well, one of my techniques.
1: Okay, that's important. Got to be resourceful, definitely. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, did you open a, a youth center or try to open a youth center? I was one trying
2: point? to. I had, I had bought an old theater on Crenshaw Adams
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, what, what I had saw. Huh?
1: Sorry, not to cut you off. What year was this?
2: I think I must have bought that theater in 88. Mm-hmm. And my idea for the theater was to build a youth center where uh, we would do like performing arts, uh, studio, uh, dance, track. I was going to have tennis, mm-hmm. just everything where kids could be. And I wanted to build this gap because I, I had I had this connection with higher society of blacks mm-hmm. that my friends didn't have. You know, money money buys you. Money buys you a lot. You know, money buys you knowledge, buys you respect. uh, Access? Access, that's the word I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to share that access with people who didn't have the money that I had. So this Mm -hmm. theater was going to be kind of like a bridge between the ghetto and the higher society blacks where they would feel comfortable with coming down you know, I was going to make sure security was good so they would feel comfortable. You know, a lot of times, uh, wealthier blacks are afraid to come to our neighborhoods, you know, because it could be dangerous for them, you know, so- um it is
1: dangerous for us, so I, I feel you.
2: Yeah, but it would be really dangerous when they think you got some money and they right. think you don't care about them, you know, uh, <laughs> they'll really, really take advantage of you, so-
1: right. Okay, definitely. And so um, what kind of happened with that space? And...
2: Uh, when I went back to prison, I lost it. Okay. Yeah.
1: Were any plans to kind of maybe bring that vision back to life or any-
2: I'm going to do so many things mm. this time
1: around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know,
2: last time I was a millionaire. This time I'll be a multi-billionaire.
1: Okay. Well, I'm looking for some silent investors. I'm just going to throw that out
2: there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um...
2: Why they got to be silent?
1: Because I don't need you talking about uh, trying to tell me how to run my business. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Respectfully. But um, silent investors are cool. A lot of people have silent investors all the time, right? Angel investors. That's what you call them. Angel investors.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you just take investors.
1: True. But then you got to give up percentages and all that. it's fair. Yeah, but you're supposed to be all money in. Cut out the middle <laughs> man. All right, R.I.P. Nick. Um, so, let's talk a little bit about, Um. first of all, let me check the time because I don't want to have you up in here forever. It's only, it's five, wait a minute. What time do we come here? Five o'clock? It's 5.55 right now. Um. I say like maybe another 15 minutes or so. How you feel about that?
2: Yeah, we do. A few minutes, a few more minutes. You know, I eat once a day, so I ain't ate today. Oh, really? It's almost my meal time. Okay. Yeah, definitely.
1: go ahead. Are, we can do a few minutes. Are you, minutes. Muslim? Are you huh? Muslim? Are you Muslim?
2: Are you Muslim? According to who I'm with. Okay. When I'm with Farrakhan, I'm Muslim.
1: <laughs> okay, definitely, definitely. When so, I'm with
2: Bishop Noel Jones, I'm Christian.
1: Okay. And who are we right now?
2: I don't know what your religion is. I didn't ask you.
1: Oh, you didn't? Okay. Black Jesus.
2: Right now we're doing a talk show. <laughs> true, <laughs> true, true, very true.
1: Um, okay, cool. So what I would like to uh kind of close out on, um, and then of course I wanna well I want to close out with what we should be looking out for from you. I do want to close out on that. But I do want to touch on um, like I wanna touch on that meeting at Locke High School that um George Deutsch guy, the CIA, oh, the CIA director. director. Right. Just kind of like where you I were. I was in jail. You were in jail. I wasn't there. Right. How did you feel to kind of see that meeting take place?
2: It was big. It gave me hope, you know. Uh, I thought that knowing that the CIA played a hand in bringing crack cocaine to the community, that it may give um, us a break. You know, um, well, it was, you know. That's about it. Really, mm-hmm. that's what I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. Uh, more so than anything else, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I was glad that the community was standing up. You know, for 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 something. Right. Uh, it's crazy. You know, I woke up last night late, and I got on my Instagram page because uh, I went to bed and I watched this guy Lomachenko. You know, Lomachenko. You know who Lomachenko is?
1: I don't actually.
2: He's a boxer he was getting ready to have a really big fight, you know, for maybe $10 million. Mm. And he canceled the fight to go to Croatia to fight. He joined the army. And it it made me think like, wow, he not only gave up his money, but he put his life on the line. And then here we are with, with our people. They won't even speak up for us. You know, like our celebrities, like, who are you? You know, what do you stand for? And to see these guys, not only him, but also the Calisco brothers, also enlisted in the army as well. You know, when they could be over here, you know, in their big mansions, comfortable, but they dropped this life and, and, and went to put their life on the line for their country and for their fellow citizens. Mm-hmm. And to see our celebrities not willing to even speak up for us or put their money up for us is, 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 is sad.
1: Right, not only the celebrities the the politicians and a lot of these organizations they're like you know basically like some authority on black people, but then they never like redirect the resources or the things that they're it's just it's a mess, so i I agree with you there um so well, that's
2: part of that that's part of that crack problem you was talking about, which part them not being able to direct
1: mm. wait (laughs) okay so um so from that from that meeting when uh John Deutsch the then CIA director who would resign like shortly after that um you know you said you hoped that that would kind of give you like a break in your case and kind of like take I guess some of the blame off of you um do you feel like you know even just beyond helping your case do you feel like there was any resolve from you know the CIA director coming to the black community to tell th- the community that uh they're going to do some kind of investigation for justice for us
2: well you know my auntie stood up in the, in the thing she was on she's on all the news channels and she said you can't have the fox investigating the chickens. So, uh, you know, saying that is that when the CIA was investigating themselves uh, was, <laughs> was a joke. But they did admit that they, they guys were selling drugs. So, I mean, I, I guess that was, you know, was a, uh, a small victory, mm-hmm. you know, to what extent they never said, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know, it, it, it's been so long, you know, mm-hmm. that... Yeah. that it really didn't have any 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 really lasting effect. Uh, it really didn't accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, the appeals court said that uh, even if the government was involved with selling drugs, it didn't give me an excuse to to participate. And I understood what they meant, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I accepted the fact, even though I disagreed, but I was able to accept that as uh, the law. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Okay. Definitely. Um, real quick, I want to touch on um, Gary Webb, you know, the journalist yeah, who- Yeah, I know Gary.
2: Gary came to my
1: Oh, how was he as a person?
2: I like Gary. Okay. Gary was uh, a trailblazer.
1: Definitely. You
2: know, he had an open mind. Uh, race wasn't a factor. Hmm. You know, uh, he he looked for injustices. You know, that was part of his uh, journalistic reportingism is to look for injustices and, and point them out and write about them. And uh, uh, I think he did some great work. You know, he's the reason now that if you get pulled over in your car and, and you got a, a, a joint, a marijuana joint in your car, that they don't just take your car, you know, and you lose your car, you know, before he... Uh, started writing about it, uh, you could get pulled over in your car and you could have one marijuana cigarette and they could literally take your car without you going to court or without you having a hearing or anything. You would just lose your car. Uh, so, you know, Gary did a lot of wonderful things. Um, I'm glad that he did the story that he did on me and shine a light on on my case so that uh, I got the look that, that I was entitled to.
1: Mm. Okay, definitely. Um, I just hate that, like, you know, just somebody that's in, well, as a journalist, um, I just feel really bad for him because, you know, okay, maybe some things may have been a little stretched. I don't know. They say a little bit, you know, but I feel like for the most part, he was on it and he, like, you know, he was very, um, he brought some things to light that we needed to know, right? But when he started to get the backlash or whatever. The San Jose Mercury newspaper, basically, um, they didn't support him or whatever. Yeah,
2: they backed up the story.
1: And I just think that that's so messed up, you feel me? Especially because they had promoted it. They put it on the website.
2: Well, we got lucky that the internet had just popped. You know, that's the first story they ever go on the internet.
1: The first one?
2: The first one. Hmm. First time a major newspaper ever published a story on the internet.
0: A Mm. lot of people don't know that,
2: Mm -hmm. and it's the first time that blacks went to the internet in droves. Uh, Blacks went to that to that to that story like crazy.
1: How did we? I mean, we didn't have a phone with the internet on it. How was like? How did people access the internet when it was first coming out? Just like computers in jail. (laughs) True, true, true. Okay. Probably with computers. Computers, right. They said they was getting like a million hits a day or something I was reading
2: um, was on a website. I, I if I if I would have only known how to capitalize on the internet then I'd probably and you know, a guy bought me a, uh my first domain name while I was in prison.
0: Mm-hmm. He was like,
2: Man, I'm gonna give you a present or reported yet. He was like, I bought you your domain name.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know what I did with it. But mm-hmm. um, Yeah, I just didn't understand the internet mm-hmm. at, at that time. Well
1: now you now you own it, you got You know, the followers, and it's only, uh...
2: Not yet. I ain't got the followers yet. A little bit. Wait till till I finish.
1: Okay.
2: You know, um, I got a big boxing match coming up this month, too, in Philadelphia. You boxing? No, one of my... I I manage fighters. Okay. Yeah, I manage fighters. Uh, I eventually want to become a promoter.
1: Okay. Trying to be on your Don King tip?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Don King.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, definitely.
2: Yeah, I love Don King, but, uh... Um, I just didn't understand the internet at the time. Mm-hmm. And I still don't understand it the way I need to. I'm I'm studying and, mm-hmm. you know, hire people to help me. Yeah. So.
1: Definitely. Okay. Any resolve with um, Ricky Rose? Any no, resolve? None. none. His
2: name is William Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> that mad <ain't> no Ricky. <laughs> I apologize. No, it's all good. Just I'm, just figure I'm, figure just I'm just teasing <laughs> you. I'm just teasing you.
1: No, I, but,
2: um, no, nah, I mean, we, we,
1: you know. How do you feel about that in terms of like the rappers uh, adopting these drug kingpin tropes? You know, that's like a popular thing. Like, how do you feel about hey, that? I
2: mean, you know, that's what they do. You know, everybody has to make their own bed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you make it, you have to lie in it, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. I don't agree with. What they're doing, but you know, uh, who am I to judge? You know, my background is, you know, at least they aren't rapping about selling drugs. At least they're not selling it. You know, I actually sold drugs, so um, I can't, uh, I can't point the finger at them. You know, I only hope that they uh, learn that they can take those platforms and and do greater things with them than uh, rapping about gang banging and selling drugs.
1: Okay, definitely. So you mentioned your fight coming up this month. Um, who is your um your boxer?
2: Vashon Champ. Look okay. him up. Look him up. Okay. Vashon <laughs> Champ? Yeah, Vashon Champ. Follow him on Instagram. He he's gonna be a world title holder. Okay. Um I have I have about six fighters right now that, that I'm I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Kid out of Detroit, named Keysar. I'm also working with Anthony Peterson, uh Alvin uh out of um uh, New Orleans uh Napier Charles out of Philadelphia mm-hmm. so i'm 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 my my little roster up of of people,
1: okay, dope, and so um,
2: and I'm gonna do some music stuff too, so <laughs> if you're an artist out there and you're looking to get in the music gang, how at your boy? I got the hook up? oh he got the hookup
1: yeah, okay. hook he got up. the hookup
2: all I right got the hook up
1: I'm sure somebody will, um hear this and be tapping in with you soon for sure. Just um, tapping in. You also mentioned the podcast that you, you know, yeah, working slowly developing the podcast developing. After the snow. After the snow. Yeah, okay. Me and
2: Dave is doing that. Mm-hmm. Um what else I'm doing? Uh, the movie. Mm-hmm. My movies financed.
1: Congratulations. Um, that's huge.
2: I may be going to talk to the people that own Snowfall. They called me today and said that they would like to have a sit down with me. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be interesting.
1: Okay. Um, Tell them they need to be redirecting some of that money right back to South Central, um, yeah, right? <laughs> and not just not just these um, excuse me, not just these activations with um popular brands that are going to post their uh snowfall on social media. You know, and I also want to mention that. Rest in peace to John Singleton. I know y'all had y'all, you know. I've actually uh, had DM John Singleton when I haven't watched Snowfall since like the first season because I was a little disturbed after the first episode, I'm going to be honest with you. And I DM John Singleton and, you know, we kind of talked and um, basically I say these things about Snowfall. Um, more like vocally now that he has he's resting in peace, because I feel like we should be even more critical of the stories that and themes coming out of snowfall since he's not here anymore, you know what I'm saying, so it's kind of like who's directing the overall like you know where where that story is going, you know, and so I just want us to um just think more about that, and you know, with snowfall being a really popular show. That's a lot of revenue that they're receiving, you feel me, off the backs of our community destruction. And I just think that's crazy. But, um, yeah. So hopefully, you know, you guys could come up with some kind of resolve, you feel me, like, you know, cut the check, get some redirecting of some resources. It's ridiculous.
2: It would be cool, but I ain't looking for nothing from them.
1: Um, Well, we are. I'm holding snowfall accountable. This is ridiculous. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah, you file your lawsuit.
1: No, not a I mean, I don't have no grounds for that, but it's just to say again, black people, um I again, rest in peace, John Singleton. I if he was around, I'd probably be a little bit more, you know, okay, whatever. Um, but who are these people that are overseeing snowfall now? Um, um,
2: we're going to find out.
1: Some white folks, for sure, you know?
2: Well, they were saying overseeing it when John was there.
1: So that's what I'm saying. It's like...
2: If you see something on TV, it's some white folks over.
1: Right. For uh, stories of oppression that have, like, marginalized people and um, disrupted, like, um, their economic progress, Uh, you know, we... uh,
2: I think that's more ignorance, though, than, than... them oppressing us. Because if we get our minds right, they wouldn't we, be
1: able to do that. They
2: can't do it. Right. Yes.
1: Okay. So make sure you follow um at Freeway Rick.
2: Yes. On S- Instagram. On Instagram. Freeway Ricky Ross on Facebook. Uh Freeway Rick on Twitter and Freeway Rick on TikTok.
1: Definitely. And make sure you stay up to date uh follow him so that you can stay tuned with all of his projects and make sure you support and thanks again for your time i really do appreciate it thank you definitely like this episode
2: leave a review and
0: stay up to date on new episodes by subscribing to sloss and girl speaks and follow sloss and girl on instagram youtube and facebook